Tuning you in now. The all new LBX Daily Show. Brought to you by the LBX Collective. Your community to connect, engage, and inspire. Now, let's get ready to roll. With your hosts, Christine Buer and Brandon Wiley. All righty. <laughs> All right. Oh my gosh. It's Friday, everyone. <laughs> and and it's late it. on Friday too. It's late. It's I later know. than we normally do this. Yeah. I know. I know. I wasn't sure if we were going to get our act together today or what, you know, but we certainly did. High five to us. High five. <laughs> <laughs> um, already. Okay. So let's kick things off here. Um, you know what? I feel like it's been a short week as well because Monday was a holiday, but I feel like we missed stuff on Monday. Like there's a lot of stuff that happened September 1st that we didn't even talk mm-hmm. about, you know? Um, first of all, let's let's get down to the, the burn here. Um, Burning Man. Um, okay. So <laughs> we all know what Burning Man is. Tens of thousands of people uh, called burners travel to Nevada to create that kind of utopia village with medical centers, airports, performance stages, the work shelters, blah, 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 blah. Um, the festival itself is all about self-expression and the rejection of corporatism and capitalism. Um, and people, and actually I just learned this, they use, instead of using money, attendees have to borrow, barter, and trade for what they need, which I thought was really interesting. Um, it's I've always wanted to go, but I thought this was a massive commitment. Like it's nine days. And I feel like to get the most out of it, you have to do the full nine days. And then on top of that, you have to have a new outfit every day. Like, and those outfits are nuts. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of prep work that goes into this. Yeah. Which, which, you know, is like, ironically, you have to have a a new outfit. You have to have all this gear, which you have to buy at stores and you have to spend money Uh on and you have to spend money on travel. And so like for this thing, that's sort of is like this inverse or this, this like pushback against capitalism, there's a lot of capitals involved. To, totally. uh, to, to get there and be present. Oh my gosh. So. Yeah. That's such, that is a really good point. And then, and then this year to top it all off, it rained uh, like galore. So it was muddy, mucky mess. And as a matter of fact, that's why September 1st was important because the burn was supposed to happen on Saturday and it ended up getting pushed till Monday, September 1st. And you can see uh, this year's burn. He's not actually burning yet, but these are the fireworks going off and everyone getting excited. The, re- the remainder of the crowd that was still there, I think half the people had already left, but Oh yeah. No, I mean, you're reading stories about people just like trekking several miles through the mud and like their feet getting stuck and it looked just absolutely terrible. Sort of looked like the Woodstock of of, (laughs) like the the, the 21st century. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It it gives me nightmares. It gives me nightmares to think of not having a shower clothes where I could, you know, wash all that stuff off anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it seems like this would be fun and interesting, but it's, it's sort of feel like it's like what South by Southwest has become though, like very commercialized. It Mm. it used to be this really like, you know, thought leaders and, you know, edgy and you're in Austin and Austin is sort of weird. And now I feel like Austin has gotten corporate and South by Southwest has gotten corporate and you still have good music and good film and good, you know, new tech coming out. But I feel yeah. like Burning Man's going the similar way. And uh, you yeah. know, maybe there'll be something else that pops up once Burning Man gets too commercialized for hey. all the burners that, that go it's, there. It's our opportunity to create something, Brandon. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> I, I'm not, nope. uh, yeah, I'm not hippie enough to go and, and do mm-hmm. do a Burning Man. I think. You know, to go well, and we'll do something geeky, man. something geeky. Then, yeah, for oh, you. <laughs> that, that that is that I am. So I can, right. I can definitely do that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Other news. Um, 
So uh, Walmart is rolling stuff back again, and this time it's wages, (laughs) which is so fascinating. So they are going to be rolling back wages for people who prepare orders or provide curbside pickups. Um, So not for people that are already existing or in roles, but for new hires going forward, everything Mm. will be a dollar less, right? And so their range will be between $14 to $19 an hour, which is still a pretty big uh, wage for the U.S., I'd say. Um, And um, they stated that the reason that they're doing this is that they had to raise wages in previous years because of the tight labor market, but they're starting to see better availability now for labor, and that's what's actually causing the change. And so I'm curious, is this good news for us? (laughs) Is Walmart the leading indicator of where wages are going and what's going to be happening? Yeah, I think it's super interesting. And and also, is it even a broader signal? I was thinking about this a little bit since we talked earlier. Mm. Um, is this a broader signal about just the overall uh, softening, uh, not softening of the economy, but the slowdown of inflation? So, you know, you, you now have uh, uh, um, in, in unemployment is raising just a little bit. Your prices, your, your your overall inflation is dropping from nine percent, you know, to now three percent, four percent. Anyway, mm-hmm. just wondering if like the fact that they feel comfortable reducing wages versus increasing wages seems to signal that we're not like in a deflationary world, but that we're at least in a less inflationary world. Mm-hmm. Um, if they feel like they can actually comfortably reduce wages for new hires because the job market is, uh, you know, overall softening or becoming at least a, a better labor market for um, the employer versus the employee. So, yeah, uh, yeah. very interesting leading indicator just given the size of the employer. Um, yeah. Now, you know, obviously it's unskilled workforce, so it, it's a little mm-hmm. bit different. But for the majority of our, you know, the, the you know, majority of our venues, uh, you know, the, they tend to be more unskilled. Uh, frankly, mm-hmm. other than co- good oh. customer service and hospitality, right? Oh, oh, sure. We're hiring people in their first jobs and they, mm-hmm. they, sh- they should be getting minimum wage. That's what they should yep. get until they learn more skills and then they prove themselves. Absolutely. That's exactly how it should go. But, you know, one of the other interesting things I was thinking along this line is that in Canada right now, we everyone's pretty much at a $15 minimum wage. I, I think, or even higher in some cases. And I don't think that that's completely gone across the U.S. yet. And I think that that's going to be a challenge in years to come, potentially, um, wages and where they're going to go. Now, that's just my opinion. I know that you feel differently, I think, than I do. But um, I still feel that, you know, um, the U.S. is going to struggle a little bit with increasing wages, and even if uh, Walmart's pulling some of theirs back. Yeah, and I mean, the, just just given our, our the political climate and also the way that our we're structured from a state from a state by state republic basis, it's just very unlikely that you're going to find, um, you know, unless something happens legislatively at the national level, um, mm-hmm. certain states are going to be lower uh, minimum wage just because that's the way they believe, and and in other states are going to be higher because cost of living is higher, um, or they just have a different political makeup. But uh, you're you're gonna it's really struggle to have any sort of national minimum wage increase uh, mm-hmm. that's that's meaningful at all uh, you know to that level. So mm-hmm. it it has to be market that drives you know market demand that drives an increase in wages ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to watch over the next few years. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, so I was reading about a new golf simulator facility opening up in Mississauga near. It's just outside of Toronto. I think it's a suburb of Toronto is my understanding. So I'm, I'm looking at the Canadian. Um, yes. Sorry. Yes. 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 Yeah. So Mississauga, but um, what if, two things that I found interesting about this, the first one is that there's two other golf, like indoor 
virtual golf facilities that are already open. This this one called Parlux is not yet open. And yes, they're in three different parts of Mississauga, but I just felt like that was already a pretty heavy saturation. But maybe because these golf bays, maybe there's only four or five golf bays in each one of these. And so total saturation is is you know not as big of an issue. Um, but what I, I thought what I liked about Parlux versus the other two is that Parlux is a 24-7 fully automated, uh, all indoor golf simulator. They use the, mm-hmm. the track man golf simulators, which run about 45 grand a piece. So, uh, they've got a couple of those in there, but I thought it was interesting as a 24 seven. And I immediately thought, well, that like seems to be really difficult. Like, is it going to have to be staffed 24 seven? Um, you certainly have to have security monitoring to make sure vandalism doesn't happen. But then you had mm-hmm. a great, you had a great point that this model already exists mm-hmm. uh, in, in other areas. So, um, yeah, I mean, my gym, like I go to Anytime Fitness and it, that, this already exists. I have a fob. I can go in whenever I want. Do you know what I mean? It's not staffed. It's only staffed nine to five. I don't even think I ever see a staff member. Well, rarely, you know, and it, it, it's just based on... Y- I mean, there's, there's an attraction there that you want to use. I'm sure they're going to set it up properly where like, there'll be a key code that they get to enter. And then once their session is done, the the session will end. So they can't play anymore. And I wouldn't expect a high level of uh, vandalism in that area of the country anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. And so it leads me to think then if, if it can be done, obviously in gyms, it's being done here with this Parlux, like Mm -hmm. we've been talking uh, over the last few weeks about different sports simulators for different sports besides golf. Um, what's the, I mean, who's to say like, you know, you can open up a 24 seven sports simulator venue as well and just use, uh, depending on how fully automated those, those systems are. So I can go play baseball yeah. or I can go play soccer or whatever it is that I want to do in a sports simulator. Gosh, well, we talked about automated beer service, you know, not mm-hmm. too long ago. So why can't you have automated sports simulation service too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And, or do both. Right. I mean, I, I totally, I want a beer well, at 2am while I play, while I play soccer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it all depends mm-hmm. on how like ID checks happen and stuff like that. But yeah, anyway, the 24 seven thing got me really thinking. I was like, oh shoot. Like how, how can you open up another 24 seven venue, but that has something a little bit more than golf. Cause I don't know how many people are going to like excited to play golf at 3am in the morning, but maybe, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Totally. You never know. I mean, we have night shift workers as well, right? Or people mm-hmm. that maybe are restless and they're trying to figure out what they want to do at nighttime and mm-hmm. yeah, um, can't sleep and they need to go and do some golf stuff. So anyway, yep. um, alrighty. So, um, another weird thing happened today in the news feed. So I was doing some research and I came across this article where Hershey Park had been listed as one of the top 25 parks that had provided the least amount of value with this other list of attractions. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And it was weird because there was other attractions like the Calgary Stampede, Canada's Wonderland and Monterey Bay Aquarium that was actually, they were even higher than Hershey. So I'm not sure. Oh, here, I I just have a cute little picture of Hershey because I need to share. Um, But um, they, I'm not even sure why they were, you know, they got pointed out in this article because there were so many other ones that were um, worse than they were. Um, and I was trying to remember, well, I'm like, how did they figure out these numbers? And I went back to the article and it had been deleted. It was gone. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, something fishy must be going yeah. on here. And what I remember the article saying though, is that they took 23 million reviews of attractions and then they categorized them and they looked at bad, bad reviews versus good reviews. And that was how they came up with this list. And I'm like, how accurate of a measure is this? Could this 
possibly be? Like, isn't that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? Yeah, there's there's no quantitative data at all to support that. So yeah, it's like no. blows my mind how you could have, you know, how you can take reviews and somehow determine that Hershey Park or that Monterey is like the most expensive attractions just from reviews. Maybe they've done a phenomenal job, but it seems suspect. And it's probably why it got pulled. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. I mean, really, how much faith do you put in, you know, user comments anyway? I, I remember my staff running up to me and freaking me out and being like, oh my God, someone said something. We must adjust. We must do something different. I'm like, okay, just hold, hold the brakes for a second. It was one comment one time. Let's like, you know, do a review of everything. And um, I, I, yeah. Yeah. We, we run into similar things on the tech side, you know, with our, with our mobile app and people can leave reviews on uh, you know, Google Play and the Apple App Store, and and you know you can get, you get the one star review because people like down the app can find their voucher in their wallet and you find out you contact them and just tell them, well, you didn't use the same email address to register for your app that you did to purchase, and so that's why it didn't show up. Oh, and it's like right. it's a user error, but we got one star review and that you know impacts it. So like you can't you you have to take those things with a grain of salt, but it certainly wouldn't. Uh, yeah, some of these articles that get published. Uh, should should maybe be vetted a little bit more before they before mm-hmm. they hit uh, well, before they had published. But uh, anyway, why, why the link was gone? There you go. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure someone called that out. Um, all right, and then finally today, the other thing we missed on September 1st, which was really very sad, is it seems as though the second wind tour for Jimmy Buffett has truly come to an end. Oh. Jimmy, where are you? Has truly come to an end as Jimmy Buffett passed away uh, last Friday at the age of 76. Um, but my gosh, did this man ever build a huge empire? He was listed as number 13 on Forbes America's richest celebrities, and apparently he was an amazing businessman. Um, his empire was built mostly on Caribbean flavored pop and celebrated the Florida Keys, which are, you know, so nice and relaxing down there. Amazing. Um, his first song, Margaritaville, made him famous, and he just kind of ran with it from there. Now, um, I'm going to borrow some of the content I picked up from my good friend, Vern Harnish, um, as he did an amazing job pointing out what really made Jimmy successful. And I think these are some things that we should be thinking about in our businesses. So the first thing is... Own your word. Um, he ran with Margaritaville um, and he made it a success, right? He launched his first Margaritaville restaurant in Key West in 1987 and continued to grow the chain into 16 more locations. Uh, the Vegas Strip location actually being the top grossing one of all time. And I mean, I feel like has everybody not been to that location at least once in your life? <laughs> if you've been on the Strip, you've been to Margaritaville. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, then the next one was what was his purpose? And his purpose was really helping people forget about their troubles for a couple hours. I mean, isn't that what the song <laughs> Wasting Away in Margaritaville is all about? Um, if you haven't, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows the lyrics, but I had to go give them a good read. And oh my gosh, it just made me smile. And I got kind of lost up in myself about, um, you know, my flip-flops being broken, losing my shaker of salt. I mean, it made me want to go on vacation and go to the beach, to be quite honest with you. Um um, the next thing he branded his customers, which is so cool. There's not very many people that I've seen do this or do this well, but his fans are known as parrot heads. And, you know, some of you listening in might actually be parrot heads as well. Um, but those parrot heads were the people that wore the funny hats and the colorful, you know, beach shirts and different things like that. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then the last thing is his brand had strategic anchors. So boats, beaches, bars, and ballads. And they all became design elements, part of his brand and part of his 1992 best-selling box set. Anyway, I thought it was really a really good, a cool reminder of really how much effort you have to put into your brand and what, what drives it and what your customers actually mean to you. 
And then today for the rumination, I, I think that this would be a really good thing to ponder is really how much thought have you put into your brand and how does that play out in your marketing efforts? Have you created a culture with your customers that helps them see themselves as part of your brand? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, awesome stuff to think about. And look, we want to hear from you as well. So we have, uh, this, this is, we've come to the end of the, of the daily. So we've come to the end of the daily, end of the week. Um, and uh, so we want you to join the community on the LBX Collective Discord. And there's a lot of good discussion beginning to happen. So Greg Borman, one of the, uh, mm. you know, one of the early, one of, one of our first people to join the Discord channel, posted a couple of articles out there and it sparked some conversation. So there's some good dialogue out there. Uh, so join the community. You can go to lbxcollective.com and uh, you're able to join that. Uh, you click on the little link there and, and you'll get access to the Discord. So let's uh, mm -hmm. let's have you get down there and, and join the discussion. So, yes. uh, well, with with that, I guess we'll say uh, have a great weekend, fellow LBXers. This is CB and BW signing off. Stay tuned and keep kicking ass. <laughs>